Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. With challenging economic times, business leaders will be faced with a number of challenges and difficult decisions. However, economic downturns can also present opportunities in the form of acquisitions. Now, some of you listening to this podcast may be aware that in February last year, I sold Inspire, the business and tax advisory company I'd founded in 2004, to Azette, an international accountancy and business advisory group with over 160 offices across the UK and Europe and more than 7,000 employees. Selling any business is going to be a big decision, but when it's your first business, the one that helped you find your entrepreneurial feet and really put your heart and soul into it, it's especially meaningful. For any business owner, the idea of selling your business can seem like a daunting one. How do you know you're making the right decision? What's the process really going to be like? And what happens after the deal is done? I was recently asked to be a guest on Azette's podcast, Bang the Drum, to discuss my experience of selling Inspire. And Azette's have kindly allowed us to republish that podcast here in full on this platform so that you, the listener, can find out firsthand and have that insight into the world of mergers and acquisitions. The conversation is very much framed around owner-managed businesses and how they should approach making acquisitions as well as these conversations that took place around our own disposal. So it's gonna be a great listen for any of you thinking that you may grow in the future through acquisition. A special thanks must go out not only to Azettes, but to Emma Shepherd, the excellent host of the Bang the Drum podcast, as well as fellow guests on the episode, Jeremy Fernley, who's Assets Group Head of Mergers and Acquisitions, and Joe Barry, Managing Director and Founder of Platinum Care Solutions Group. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of Bang the Drum, brought to you by Azets, the International Outsourcing Compliance and Advisory Group. I'm your host, Emma Shepherd, and I'm joined today by Jeremy Fernley, Azets Group Head of Mergers and Acquisitions, Warren Munson, founder of Inspire Accountants, a firm based in the south of England, which Azets acquired in March 2022, and Joe Barry, Managing Director of Platinum Care Solutions Group, an award-winning care group based in the south of England. Jeremy, Warren and Joe, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In this episode, we're talking about how and why acquisitions might become part of your business strategy for growth from the perspective of the buyer and the seller. It's an approach that can unlock substantial opportunities, but can also be fraught with a number of risks. Hopefully, we'll be able to help you navigate some of those challenges with the help of our experts.
So let's start with the basics. Acquisitions are often mentioned in the same breath as mergers, Jeremy, as your yep. job title uh, indicates so well. But what is the difference between a merger and an acquisition? Um, so I suppose uh, essentially the difference is that with an acquisition, there's definitely a buyer and there's definitely a seller. Uh, with, with a merger, you're you're more likely to be sort of pooling your assets, um, and you're more likely to be bringing two businesses together that may be quite similar, uh, in order that you can achieve something in the future. So there's definitely a different dynamic around it uh, from the perspective of the people who are owning uh, both of those businesses. That's great. Thank you for that. Um, we're going to be focusing primarily on acquisitions today. And as I mentioned in the intro, the economic downturn can present some opportunities for businesses open to this possibility. Um, is that fairly typical for these sorts of market conditions? Are you seeing an increase in acquisitions at, around these sorts of times? Well, I mean, g generally, I would say um, no, because as uh, confidence reduces, then uh, so does M&A, because people need to feel confident both in terms of selling, that they're selling at a good price, and also in terms of buying, that they are confident that the future of the business will be strong. So in, in, in times of uncertainty, that can that can go against the grain. However, if you look at the sectors that we work in, then they're largely very resilient. Um, they have a lot of recurring revenue. The clients are generally asking you for compliance related services so that maintains a, a strong level of a strong level of turnover as you go through and so i think it's a, it's a relatively um it's a relatively uh, resilient business you know it's well diversified and therefore you can expect to see that activity carrying on um but obviously you know it depends on what price you're prepared to pay and how you're funding it and there are a number of other components that come into it so we do expect it to continue um a pace because there's shortage of labor and things like that that are driving M&A in our sector um but uh, more generally yeah you would see uh, you see M&A activity dropping off that's really interesting. And, and Joe, considering um, t when we're talking about um, uncertain economic conditions, you know, you've actually acquired two businesses um, in more recent years, so 2019 and 2020, as I believe. Yeah. So some would say, I mean, that's a might be a, a crazy time to, to look to acquiring um, another business. But tell me a little bit about what what took you to that decision and, and, and what that process was kind of like for you. Why did you decide that that was, that was going to be um, right for you as an SME owner? I have grown the business organically since well for the last 20 years um, and before I actually acquired my first business in 2019 I opened up other businesses and grew them organically um, in different locations and it was just really hard and I kept thinking to myself that it must be an easier way of growing the business mm. and I always felt that buying businesses wasn't really for me because I was a small business and I and I just felt like it was always out of my reach mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I spoke to other people my accountant firms and and other pe uh, people in business that they said you know have you thought about buying a business so and it, it is the quickest way for me to have grown and it's proven that that's happened so yeah absolutely and, and that's really interesting what you said about kind of thinking that it's just for big businesses do you think there is still this kind of misconception among small business owners that acquisitions are just for big big businesses to them buying buying smaller I, I firms? think so yeah because it takes a great leap of faith doesn't it to to jump from your paddling like ducks making your business work and yeah. focusing really on your primary business for you to actually have time to scan the horizon and find target acquisitions and things so yeah I do think it people think that you need 
big pockets and a big management team to go go hunting for that perfect business. But that's not necessarily the case. Well, it's pro- I've proven that it's not the case, yeah. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I'm sure we'll come back to that later. Um, Warren, I'd love to um, come to you. You um, are a, a seller, if we can um, profile you in that way. Absolutely. As it's bought your business um, this year, um, tell me a little bit about what it's like as a seller to have someone come to you and say... We want to buy your business. And uh, did you have any apprehensions kind of going into the process? What did you think it was going to be like? I mean, it's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because mainly for a smaller business that's being acquired, and if it's being acquired by a larger business, that conversation usually starts with an offer of a coffee and a chat Mm -hmm. and through an unsolicited approach, you know, be that a telephone call and be that a letter. And I think that was the first challenge that most businesses face is, is that just a services firm trying to market their services or is it a genuine approach mm. you know and from my perspective if it, if it was always a genuine approach I'd always have that conversation and, and I'd advise my clients to do the same mm-hmm. because you go on this learning curve you discover what people might want if they were to acquire your business and and some of the things that will be attractive to them and, and that was you know really important for us but you know some of the apprehensions that you'll face is those kind of emotions you know you've grown a business as Joe will empathize with you know and you've put that blood sweat and tears in you know, and it, and all of those things make you stop and think: Is the right this the right thing to do? Is this the right time? And alongside that, those feelings of should I even be having this conversation? You yes. know, am I being disloyal to my team and everybody within it? And those worries about confidentiality and dealing with the unknown. And if you're new to the process, you know, luckily I'd advise clients through the process, so my eyes were a little wider oh, open. Great, great. So that removes some of the apprehension, but that apprehension there about what happens next, what's going to happen to the team all of those things start to kick into play quite early yes. as you start to have those conversations. And, and for you, I'm curious what, what the deal was like for you. So are you still involved um, in the business that, that you sold? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, um, the reason we, you know, when we were approached, and it was an unsolicited approach that built over a sort of two-year period and had lots of those conversations, we, as we were growing as a professional services firm, we got to 35 to 40 people, um, we needed to go again. We needed further growth. We needed access to resource, experts, and technology. And our decision was, were we going to invest in that mm-hmm. and take the risk? Or was it right to find a partner and be acquired mm-hmm. and let them help us along that journey and give us the access to the resource, expertise, and technology? And you know that's ultimately why we made the decision to sell to Azets. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and uh, f- for fear of putting words in your mouth, it's been a good decision so far? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy's Very looking good. at you. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't say anything else. <laughs> uh, no, perfect. Um, and Jeremy, I'm curious, I mean, you work with a lot of, I'm sure you, you talk to a lot of small business founders ab- about this. Mm-hmm. Um, d- do some of those kind of misconceptions maybe, but also apprehensions ring true to you and, and what you've seen from, from your experience? I think what's interesting is we're now looking at businesses which are quite large mm. because we've grown quite large. So it doesn't make sense to be doing lots and lots of very small deals. But um, when you talk to those businesses, then they have, and, and, and Warren will attest to this, but a strong culture, you know, a strong sense of who they are and their, their, their identity. And for many, I think it's it's that fear of giving up that independence. It's fear of giving up what you've built over that time, Yeah, um, which is the biggest you know, detract or, or they see you as more of a competitor because you're starting to get to the level where, you know, in whatever region it is, it's it's a direct competitor. So opening the door to the people that, you know, yeah, they, they, they're quite, yeah, they're quite, they're quite negative towards across the uh, street. 
is 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 a big undertaking to actually sort of you know start the conversation. It's a lot easier if we're not in that market, yes, and we're talking to somebody about coming into that market and then being the platform for growth in that in that space. And I think you know once you get past the the emotional side of well, I could be selling to a competitor and it could stuff, then it makes the conversation a lot easier. And I, and I think so long as you can show that by coming together that future for the business that you're acquiring will be better mm-hmm. then you can start to you know develop that conversation but that's it's usually that initial like, like Warren said you know <laughs> I, I don't feel like I'm really I'm being disloyal or I you know I, I, I've built this to get to a stage and now I'm turning my back on it but it's it's yeah. not the case if you get it right yeah yeah that's that's really interesting and I was um, interested what Warren said there about kind of feeling like you'd, you'd reached a point where the business needed to grow you needed that scale you needed that those resources and it's a decision about whether you're going to invest yourself or whether you're going to bring in, in a partner Joe was it the same for you in terms of making that decision to to then uh, acquire another yeah, business I think the two businesses that I bought were both smaller than than my business so it was me changing a lot of things for them and um, seeing that I would have to do a lot of investment in terms of technology and people mm. and things. So I, I came from a different angle. I haven't up, you know, I, I've covered more geographical areas, but what I've mm. done is I've invested a lot as well in, in terms of um, bringing them on. So for me, it was all about making sure that the culture was the fit, not yes. the rest of it I could look after. And, and talk to me a little bit about kind of determining a good acquisition target. Like what research did you do and how did you find those businesses that you ended up buying? So I did ask people in the industry. So I asked accountants to help me find um, target businesses. So what they did then, they sent me a list of competitor type businesses. And it was never about the competitor for me to, I I was already quite strong in the area that I was in. I Mm. just wanted to expand into other areas to have a larger covering. Um, So once they gave me a list of potentials I I then did my own due diligence in terms of what sort of rating they had with the regulatory bodies and things so I then went for a good reputation that Mm -hmm. needed to be bought on so I looked for that perfect moment so if you find something and you can make something better I felt that that was an easier easier acquisition for me though I thought I could bring them on providing they were a good company at heart. It makes a lot of sense. And, and in terms of bringing them on, you're talking about investing in that technology. Yeah, complete and... investment. So investment in the people mainly, mm-hmm. um, because the the industry that I've come from has been under under invested for such a long time. This so, is care homes and yeah. residential care. Yeah, it's domiciliary care, actually. So yeah. it's community based. We do do residential as well, but my primary business is um, community based. So it's about investment in the people. And for so long, they haven't had that. So when mm-hmm. I came in, although it was quite difficult at first because I looked so so new in the industry so shiny whereas it had been run in the same way for the last 30 or 40 years so it was quite difficult at first with the investment that I was bringing but it was quite easy initially to see the businesses that I wanted yes in terms of the the right fit for me and and I, I suppose it can be a, a benefit from coming from outside of the sector. You know, you can see where you can bring those improvements yeah. um, where someone might not else might not be able to. I think, I think it's interesting because it, clearly within your sector as well, there are growing pains as you get to a certain scale and you want to take the next step. And, and as, as Warren said, you know, it's that feel that you can actually rely on someone who's got deeper pockets than you. Mm. You know, we, we've gone out and we're a corporate structure and stuff. When you're a, a partnership or a, a, an owner-manager, then actually, it's, you know, you're taking your own money and you're, and you're putting it straight in there. It's, it's it's a lot easier for us as a corporate entity to say, okay, this is the right thing to do for future shareholder value. 
and we can get to a point where we can crystallize that value quite quickly. Um, I think when you're sitting there and it's it's basically, well, I could I could spend a hundred grand on, you know, some technology investment, but that's a hundred grand that the kids aren't going to get this year, you mm. know, it, because it's not going to be able to come out of the business that's going back in. So you've got to take a long-term view. And that's difficult when you're talking sometimes to partnerships. Yes. And a lot of the businesses in our sector are partnerships where it's literally that's 50 quid less for me and that's 50 quid less for me and that's 50 quid less for me. And that's quite hard yeah. to get people to take the same view, particularly when you've got a 35-year-old partner and a 65-year-old partner. They don't have the same term view in terms of what they're going to actually uh, get out of the investment. No, for sure, for sure. And Jo mentioned there, Warren, that um, she used accountants to help her um, navigate these deals. Did, did you also bring in some outside help to help you or did you do it all yourself? We did it all ourselves, actually. Well, we did, in, we involved a legal firm. We did, you know, got some help on the legals and that side of things. But, you know, because we'd had that experience and because um, we felt we'd found the right partner, mm-hmm. having had those conversations with a number of people over a sort of extended period of time, we went into the process ourselves. Now, in some ways, that's exactly what I'd tell a client not to do. <laughs> because actually, there is a benefit and there's a huge benefit of having an advisory team around you. And again, I'm sure Joe will empathise with this, that, you know, you you need, when you're doing any transaction, that sounding board, that those experts, those those people you can turn to when there is contentious issues, and you can rely on them to help you deal with them and confront them with the other side, the other party. Whereas when it's your own, and you've got to build that rapport and that relationship, which is really important. Yeah. But if you're doing it yourself, you've got that opportunity and that risk of damaging that relationship for the long term. So for me, maybe one of the things we've done in hindsight was we might have brought somebody in to work alongside us during that process. But it's not something we did and and, and it worked, obviously, and we, we came through the other side. But there was some difficult moments because we were both trying to build a rapport and negotiate the best transaction possible. And I can imagine it can sometimes be quite emotional when it's your yeah. business that you've built from the ground up. I, I recognise that getting that external kind of insight might help keep things just on a, a level playing field when it comes to emotions. Yeah, it's that perspective, isn't it? It's an outsider. It's in it, like anything in life. When, you, when you've got somebody you can bounce something off and you can have those conversations, you hear a different voice. Yes. And that's the important thing. And and um, in terms of the, what you had to do to get your business ready for sale, talk me through that process. I think you mentioned earlier that it took two years sort yeah. of from start to finish. Yeah, so I, we were in this kind of do we, don't we invest. You know, we kept our foot on the growth pedal, we kept growing. But, you know, I suppose there's an adage that I've always followed that if we grow a great business and we grow a great business that's successful, it will either become a great lifestyle business or it's a business attractive for a buyer. And, yes. and that was the kind of model we followed. That was our plan, was just grow a great business, deliver client delight, look after our team and do the right things. However, as we got closer to thinking, actually, the strategy we need to follow is to find that partner and to be acquired, then we did, you know, we did a lot of kind of tidying up. We mm. did the things that would take risk out of the transaction so that when the buyer was looking at us, we dealt with most of the key issues. So that was putting in place the right legal contracts, making sure everything was bottomed down. That was also, we exited some elements, some service lines in our business that we knew wouldn't necessarily be attractive to our preferred type of buyer. Yes. So we went through all of that process. So we really went through that, you know, there's this kind of terminology used in the industry of grooming for sale Mm -hmm. uh, and planning for the exit. And we went through all of those things. We reduced debt. And we really had a plan that if this was going to happen in sometime in 2022, 2023, then actually 
you know, what would we need to look like to be attractive? And that period, the 18 months, two years, I think was an invaluable period for us. And I'd hope enabled us to make sure we got the right transaction for us, yes. but made the buying process easier as well. Jeremy, you're nodding. It's an important, <laughs> important process for, for business to go through. Well, it, it, it is. And, you know, it, we, I suppose we're lucky in that Warren has, has, has advised many of his clients on, on the same sort of process. So he was, you know, doing it... Uh, Looking from looking from the sort of the outside in at himself, and that it, it it is important because you know the first thing that we want to do is make sure that there aren't any red flags. Yes. So we'll spend time really getting to know the management team, you know, asking the questions that are things that might you know turn us off, and if those have all been dealt with, you know, claims or you know things that are a bit smelly, um, then then we can move past that quite quickly mm-hmm. and make sure that everybody's everybody's aligned, and then it really becomes down to making sure that the transaction structure meets the objectives of both buyer and seller. And so we're both aligned in terms of what it is that we're going to achieve out of the back of it. But yeah, absolutely, you know, getting your house in order um, infinitely improves the process because you're, you're, you're constantly reinforcing and giving confidence to the buyer that you yeah. know what you're doing, that you run a, a good business, that you've had, had your eyes all over everything and, and there's nothing that's going to creep out after the deal that we're going to have to deal with that's a problem. So absolutely, bring, building confidence through it is, um, is absolutely uh, vital. And ideally, is this something that they will have done before the the buyer is even involved? Um, it's, it, I mean, it, it's not a necessity. Obviously, if you if your business is is not beautifully set up with a bow on top, then it's going to take a little bit longer because you've got to prepare the information. You've got to know, you know, what are the issues that people are going to raise when they see it, and um, it just means you're doing it a little bit more on the hoof. And if you know, like most businesses, you're all flat out, right? You've got a hundred things to do every day. To then yeah. layer on this massive complex process and believe that you're going to do the best job possible is probably a little bit of a flight of fancy. Yes, yes, absolutely. And Joe, I'm really curious in terms of the process that, that you went through um, and, and finance options. Was this something you were able to finance yourself or did you need to look for external help there? I think, again, going back to that leap of faith, I think the first acquisition I was much more nervous about using my own money for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could have financed it probably through my own cash flow and and working capital but I decided to utilize the funding circle to help fund part of that first acquisition it was cheap and very easy to access and it was a quick and easy way to get the cash quickly and also it it limited my risk personally from from my existing business so and then the second business I self-funded um and I used my own own funds for that for that one that's great that's great. Lovely. Well, um, I think that finishes our, our first part, but join us after the break when we'll discuss some of the challenges that may arise during the acquisition process and how you can best take advantage of the new opportunities open to you once an acquisition is complete. Hi, a warm welcome to you at Bang the Drum. My name is Ron Wayne, the Managing Director at Deep South Media. We provide professional, cost-effective multimedia content and training for more than 50 companies across the UK. And to date, more than £10 million in new revenues has been generated for clients through our editorial, particularly through press releases and LinkedIn. To find out how we can help your company grow through content marketing, please check out our website, www.deepsouthmedia.co.uk. Welcome back to our discussion on acquisitions and when's the right time to use them to complement organic growth in your SME business. I'm here with Jeremy Fernley, Joe Barry and Warren Munson. 
Thank you all for staying with us. Okay, so we've already talked about um, how acquisitions can be very exciting, but let's talk about some of the challenges. Let's say you've identified what you believe is a good acquisition prospect and you want to make a move before it passes you by. Jeremy, why is that the time to maybe pump the brakes, do a bit of due diligence and really analyse the advantages and disadvantages of a deal? Well, I think you've already got your list of the things that you are looking for in the target. So you you, you know what you're looking for. Um, you produce the list and you send it out to them and say, right, you know, fill, fill in the gaps. But I, I think almost before you get to that stage, you need to have built the rapport with the business. You need to have built the rapport with the people. You need to really understand how it works, right? Who's doing what? And I, I can't emphasize enough, you know, the amount of time you need to spend up front before you get close to talking about, you know, a, a deal and terms and how it's going to work to actually understand the business and to mm. understand, you know, culturally. Uh, and, and when I say culture, it's sort of, you know, what's their communication style? What's the, when they go to work, what's their objective? Mm-hmm. You know, so all those things need to be taken into account and, and you, you can't spend long enough courting before you get married. Yes. Um, you really do need to invest that time and do it with a, a pretty, you know, sceptical lens on so mm-hmm. to make sure that you're you're not just listening to the positive news but you're also understanding the nuances of what you hear sort of behind the scenes and in terms of that culture are you looking to make sure that it aligns with kind of your view and how you're already running your business i think there are there are, there are a few key things one is you know really understanding the the logic of why they're open to doing a deal so what what is it they're trying to achieve mm-hmm. because we know what we're trying to achieve and do the two things align um, if we can get that alignment, then it's under the skin. It's more, you know, what's their approach to transparency with their staff, to communication? How do they look at succession? You know, it's a people business, and often the the sellers are going to be around for a few years, but not forever. Mm-hmm. So you really need to look below that and look at the next tier and say, okay, where are their strengths and weaknesses relative to the guy who would be stepping away or girl who would be stepping away? So I think really probing those points, understanding the people dynamics and understanding the, the the goals of each of the people within the business and how you're going to impact their lives, how you're going to impact their careers and how they're going to view, therefore, the, the, the opportunity to come and join assets is really vital. And if you can't get comfortable with that, it's probably something that you need to uh, step back or at least go in with your eyes open and say, by X point in this deal, mm-hmm. I'll have spoken to all these people, I'll really understand it, and then it's a yes or it's a no. But we, yeah. t- we typically we will do 95% of the deals that we get to heads of terms because we've done all that up front. That makes a lot of sense. And and Joe, does this ring true for you? What did the research process look like for, for you in, in your um, acquisition deals? So we, we can't really get in touch with the people in the business because it would probably cause too many, um, it would be too much of a concern for the seller if people found out that nobody really loves the change of being under new ownership. So... Um, I had to do all my own local research in terms of looking at quality assurance and, and and ratings and things and just to see, you know, how long they've been in business. For me, it was always about, about buying a really good established business mm-hmm. that has established roots. Um, the, the numbers really do look after themselves in terms of once you get to that stage, you, you can make it work. It's just making sure for me that it was they would it would align with my own values and my own successful business and and there's so much that you can do for um the systems and processes but if the business isn't aligned culturally yeah that would be a, that would be a, bit, a step too much for me so that would make me probably put on the brakes if the manager and the or the owner wasn't running it the way I would probably expect them to be mm-hmm. then I would probably be a bit cautious about taking it any further 
And in terms of timelines, uh, does it really vary? I mean, between your two deals, uh, were they fairly similar in terms of how long they took to Well, I bought one right in the middle of COVID, so that was a rush job. Um, The first one, it it took about four months, five months to to get that to happen. Um, It was important for me that the owner was there for as long as she was comfortable to be there, but I would have liked it to have been as as, as short as possible because I feel that you can't make a change when the old owner was still around for for too long so mm-hmm. i although i gave her a little bit of free reign in terms of you can be here up to a year <laughs> but really i i would have i tried to push for the 6 months amazing um and warren as a seller i'm i'm curious about any sort of common pitfalls or or challenges that that you think people need to look out for in those early stages of an acquisition conversation yeah i would probably the first thing i'd say what joe and jeremy have said really resonates because i think even as the seller the first thing and the first challenge and pitfall is to make sure there is that alignment mm. uh, and make sure there is that cultural fit and you understand why the acquirer wants to acquire you and does it fit with your values and where you would want the business to go? Because even though if you're leaving it, most business and particularly owner-managed businesses want some legacy. Yes. They don't want, you know, sort of this kind of somebody to come in and just rip everything up and start all over again. And obviously that's not what the acquirer wants either. But is it, what's the reason, what's the strategy for the acquisition and getting comfortable with that before you go too far? Because what you don't want to be is, you know, halfway through a five, six month process and realise this fit with the buyer isn't right. Mm -hmm. And really then what I I suppose kicks in and and a, a common thing is that kind of distraction is that, you know, it is time-consuming selling your business. Mm. And usually the buyer has a dedicated team or an individual, you know, and Joe, in the case of the owner of her business, goes out and makes those acquisitions. But she's got a team around her dealing with the day-to-day. When you're selling your business, you're the one still in it. You're the one still trying to run it. You've got to do the day job and keep, you know, keep your eye on the prize because so many times, you know, I'm sure Jeremy would would resonate again with this, is that deals fall over because the seller gets so excited about the deal and they put all of their attention into the deal that the core business, the business performance falls, profitability falls, and all of a sudden they're unattractive. You know, they're not the business that the acquirer wanted. And I suppose around that is that piece around, you know, agreeing a project plan, know, know the timeline that you're going to work towards because... Quite often, because you're the seller and you're trying to do the day job and you're trying to manage the deal, that kind of deal fatigue kits in. And that's when your judgment can go off. And I think that's probably another common pitfall. That's really interesting. Thank you, Warren. And and Jeremy, do you have any um, tips or examples of things that people should look out for when they're researching a business? Um, we've already talked about red flags, but in practice, what do some of those look like? Um I think you can quickly look at the quality of the business when you get the numbers. So you can see, you know, you can look at KPIs across um, across the clients, across the people, you know, in terms of productivity and terms of things. I think, you know, we, we, we're a large organization now and, and we're quite commercially focused. So, yes, we want to do good work for clients, but equally we want to get paid for doing that work. And we, yeah. we you know want to have quality relationships with clients where we both respect each other as as, as professionals. So um, that is borne out in the numbers invariably. And so we would quickly be able to identify where the business wasn't perhaps as good as it looked on the, on the outside uh, because it comes through. And if you look at things like staff churn, 
um, you know, people that aren't staying around for long. I know we're living in a, a high staff turnover environment, but you can still you know, judge that against benchmarks. So there, there are a number of things that you can do in terms of the, the sort of the statistics and the numbers to get under the skin of it. Um, it still is only a, a sort of, you know, a, a flag against then what you really feel for the for the business and the people, because, again, it comes down to people if you're going to have a successful deal. Yeah. And have you seen any examples of um, bad acquisitions? And what are some of the repercussions of getting this wrong? I, I don't think there's such thing as a, as a as a bad acquisition. I mean, you can you can you can make bad choices, but invariably deals don't fail because you made a bad acquisition. They fail because you didn't integrate it properly. Mm. They fail because you were misaligned in terms of the structure that you put in place. Um, it doesn't mean that the business itself was a was a bad business. But you can mess it up, <laughs> and so uh, we, you know, if we if we think about our process, then by the time we get to heads of terms, yes, we're going to go in through the process with legal and HR and IT, and we're going to do a thorough sort of review of the business. But a lot of that is really preparation for integration. Yes. It's not really to find an issue that we can't deal with. It's to find out how we're going to fit properly post deal, what that strategy should look like for the combined business afterwards, and then that gives us the roadmap to follow. So that's, you know, we, we're looking at confirmatory DD with an integration plan rather than trying to trip the business up and chip the price. Yeah, of course. That due diligence is so important. Um, and, and Joe, when we um, spoke earlier, you mentioned that sometimes, you know, there, there are more opportunities than you've obviously completed. Tell me about that process and actually yeah, so finding I, the right one. Yeah, I don't think I've had a bad acquisition yet. <laughs> Um, but I have to. I've been. I've. I've turned quite a lot away, and we. I feel like I may have weeded out the ones that could have probably gone bad. But again, that goes back to that sounding board. I think when you first find something, your emotions take over, and you're like, right, right. This is going to be great. I'm going to be great. I'm going to be great. And it just takes somebody to go actually slow down. Have you thought about this? So. I think that my soundboards in my own life and my own management team have always helped me hopefully make all the right decisions in terms of it was the right fit for the business so that's yeah great. so I think that's probably my sounding boards have been helpful I think Joe I mean so I mean Joe's buying for herself right so she's yes. massively engaged in the process I think that's really important we, we, we've got a larger organization so I'm doing the buying for somebody else if you like so I need to make sure that I'm aligned with the business owner. So, you know, whether it's a divisional head or whether it's a, a regional head or or whatever, and make sure that I understand what they're looking for and that I understand the sort of personality that they are and how that's going to fit. So there's a, there's a bit more sort of, I suppose, complexity mm-hmm. in finding the right match and making the right match because where I have seen deals go wrong, you know, not necessarily with us, but, you know, other businesses, it's just been a culture clash. It's been people. Yeah. You know, like uh, you look at wealth management businesses because they're doing hundreds of deals all the time. Stick two wealth management businesses together. The guys don't get on. Yeah. And bang, you've just lost the whole team. So, you know, it's it's just um, it's a minefield if you don't really understand the people dynamics. Yes, yes, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and Joe, talk to me about sort of day one, you're coming into a new business. What are your priorities? How how do you bring that that existing team, I suppose, on this new journey with you? I think the lessons I learned from both the acquisitions that I'm taking on to my third acquisition is that you have you do need a really good management team to keep your existing business going because everything that I do day one is about being consistent with the new teams that are coming in and my priority will always be the staff first mm-hmm. and my messaging throughout of my entire business for the past 20 years is if you take care of the staff they take care of the business. Yes. And so for me, that's always been my my role in my business is to look after the staff. So 
it's it, it is difficult. Nobody really wants to be taken over by somebody, and like I said, especially somebody quite different in my industry. So my priority is a hundred percent reassurance for staff, mm -hmm. consistent messaging, um, and and looking for those pitfalls, looking for those perfect moments where I can make a difference to somebody, whether that is increasing pay rises or making their life a bit easier in terms of streamlining processes and bringing in technology. That's great. Get some early wins in there early yeah. and, and bring them on board. And, and Warren, how about for you on, on the other side of, of the desk? What do those early days look like and, and how, how can you make it a success? I think the early days are really quite challenging and difficult because you have that kind of emotional piece that actually, you know, sold my baby. So, you know, it's yeah. it, it come back to it, it's blood, sweat and tears that I've got this point and you've gone the other side. And, you know, for me, and I'm speaking really honestly here, there was a kind of numbness. There was a kind of excitement. This is what we wanted to do and this is what we're doing. But that kind of sense of nearly of loss kind of aligned with it. So there was this kind of sense of numbness. But at the same time, there was this excitement about what's next and off we go. And and I think that's just a guttural reaction, having owned the business. And for us, the other side, you know, the key things were that we understood what the integration plan was looked like. We assigned um, a wonderful lady called Bev in the office who was our kind of associate director on the operations side to just manage that side of things mm -hmm. so that you know, the core business could get on and do what they're doing. And, you know, the message from Hazette's was business as usual and that's what we we continued to do. But we, if we hadn't had that person, it would have been a different story. And I think that's the one lesson that I've learned coming through the other side if I was advising um, would be who's going to manage the process. Yes. Who, from the seller's perspective, is in that business that's going to make the integration happen, deal with the change. And also, you've just got to realise, you know, I talked, you know, honestly about my emotions, but, you know, I had 35 team members yeah. that were going to go through that change curve. You know, they were going to have all of those emotions. And the biggest part was understanding that and managing them and being empathetic with them as they went through that process too. Yeah, you must have to think quite carefully about how to communicate mm. what's what's happening and and is that something that you actively I think were doing? Yeah, we actively did. I mean, communication and that piece around leadership was really important and you know, again as that gave us the freedom to make that communication, but for us we had been very open about what you know, not that we were looking to be acquired, but that our strategy was that we needed to find a way mm. to acquire that resource, expertise and technology. And we had all these metrics in the business and most of them were green lights. You know, if you had a red, amber, green, but the three that were red were that. And we were frequently communicating that. So that when we then said, actually, this is what we're doing. It wasn't a surprise. Th yeah, there was an under, it was probably a surprise, but there was an understanding and yeah. therefore it aligned. So, yeah, communication is really important. Yeah, yeah. And Jeremy, um, I, I wonder, if maybe when a company's taken over a business that perhaps hasn't been doing so well um, recently, how do you handle those kind of reputational um, issues perhaps or communicating with customers that this has happened, there's going to be a change? Yeah, we, we, we try not to buy businesses that haven't been doing very well. Um, but we, um, I mean, you know, the, the, the same thing, the same things occur, right, in that if there is a problem in the business, you know, when we're running the business, then you would try and fix the issues that have been manifested in, in bad client service. Um, if you were identifying things that were happening during due diligence and you were not happy with that, then I go and talk to the people who are running the business and say, well, you know, we need a plan for this. It's not terminal and we can still do the deal because it's an isolated piece of the business. It's not an endemic. So 
Um, I think that that bit would be important. But again, it's it's making sure that people are coming on the journey. I mean, we've talked about access to people as being important so that we can understand the business. But it's also important you know, for them to feel part of the deal. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing more dispiriting than I've been sold, right? We're, we're not people. We're, I'm, I'm sorry, we're not slaves. We're all people. So <laughs> it's I, I, that you want to make a conscious decision to do something. And so feeling helpless in the face of somebody else having made that decision for you is quite dispiriting. Yes. So to, to you, even, you know, if you're not getting access to the people right at the start of the deal, once you've built the confidence with the seller, once you've understood the way that they are thinking and you've managed to get over that hump of, of them feeling like you run away and they'd look stupid in front of people, um, you can then start to get that access to people so that they feel they've been involved, they've been a decision maker yeah. in the process. So post-deal, they can commit to what they decided as opposed to reacting to what someone else decided for them. And in terms of, um, at the start of the conversation, we talked about, you know, acquisitions can lead to lots of really exciting opportunities. I mean, for, for you, Joe, it's been geographical expansion. You know, for others, it might be intellectual property or access to um, equipment or, or a new mm. workforce or, uh, you know, lo- lots of different possibilities. Day one when you go in there, there's lots of other things that you need to do first, right? I, I, I'm curious as to that that process in terms of laying out that strategy so you can take advantage of all of those things that you wanted to do that made that business a, a, an attractive proposition for, for acquisition. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes back to the, the integration planning and understanding of the business. So um, we don't make any acquisition without having a plan for what we want to achieve mm. the other side of the deal. Um, and within that, we need people who are in the business to buy into it. So having that shared view of what the next three, five years, whatever it is, looks like in terms of a strategy for the business is absolutely vital. The communication process of helping to uh, align people with that, to helping to distribute that message and continue to reinforce that message is is, is really vital. It's interesting, Warren, you know, without Bev, it would have been lost because just the volume of things to do would have been, mm. would have been too mm. much. And... Um, what what you know, we we've built quite a quite a significant integration team. So we have people, you know, coming out of our ears to do to do to do deals. Not really, but you know, we we do have a you know a, a dedicated professional team. Within that, um, you know, we have a change manager, and that and, and Natasha's um, role is to really look at the business and understand if we do X, then Y is going to happen. These th- these are some of the issues that when we put in new technology, the training we need, the communication around it, that the understanding that people will say, right, okay, now I understand why you're doing this and I can see why it's better for me, not it's being done to me again. So all all those things need to happen. But on the other side of the of the deal, you've got to remember that they don't have five people spare as a dedicated integration team. So again, you have to pace it at the right uh, you know, at the right level so that you make sure that people come along with it and just don't, you know, overwhelmed mm. by the ferocity of the change. Yes, yes. But also I would add to that there's there's some as the seller, our team were excited to see some change. Mm-hmm. So there was some early change, you know, that actually improved their lives. Yeah. yeah. And actually um, you know, that must be part of the acquisition yeah. process to to make sure that there is this kind of bit of feel-good factor the other side of the transaction. Yeah, you've got to grab onto the momentum that it yeah. creates for change. Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. people expect it. So you may as well deliver and deliver the good stuff, whether it's a change yeah. in your you know, your, your terms um, you know, for the employment yeah. or whether it's actually something physical. A, a lot of businesses, the owners in particular, wear multiple hats. So you'll, you'll have your HR hat, you'll have your finance hat, you'll have your IT hat. 
and it's what what is nice about joining a bigger firm i, I presume never been on the other side but what i pre presume it is is you can actually give those away to people who are dedicated and doing it yes so suddenly your recruitment is done by somebody you know over here or your um you know your it is is taken care of and so that those new refreshes are done and you'd have to keep your eye on it so it maybe peace of mind in some ways that other people are taking care of those issues mm -hmm. it probably takes a while to get used to taking uh, your hand away from the reins but that that sort of sense as well so there are better things ahead and joe we, we talked with you about those early wins but i feel like you are you your uh, business's integration team is it just you no it isn't just me <laughs> thankfully but it's definitely those uh taking responsibilities and jobs off of people that have been running their own businesses for so long so with the businesses that i've bought they haven't had hr they haven't had an accounts department and a training department whereas i have that so when i do go in it does make people feel a little bit more reassured and, and because again it's an industry that hasn't felt the uh, the value of a career in care yes it gives them that th the, the thought that actually this is a career now i'm tr being treated professionally we have a hr department we have an accounts department we have a training department so for me it was about that integration of all of those systems and processes that i could bring to that new company so they were my quick and easy wins and and things that i felt like i bought to to the new acquisitions fantastic Maybe we could um, end just with your top three tips, SMEs heading into the acquisition process. Um, Joe, could I start with you? Again, the leap of faith. I think that it's open to anyone. It doesn't cost anything to look around yourself. And um, and again, it's it, there are people that can support you if you're not comfortable in doing that. So they are available. Um, that would be my probably my first tip. That it's open to everyone. The second would be to ask ask the question why you're doing it as well. So I think it's really important. What's your purpose? Because then it will help you streamline those targets. In terms of for me, it was geographical location. Some people it might be competitors and market share. And and then finally, I think that you've got to make sure that your business is in good order to make sure that that stays successful so that you can take your eyes off of that while other people are watching that and you you go full ahead in the culture and the integration and, and uh, things with your new business. That's my three anyway. That's great. Thank you, Joe. And Warren, how about you? Um, probably very similar. I think my first one would be to really answer the simple question of what does good look like? Mm. You know, why are you entering into the transaction? You know, what does good look like? And because at some point in that process, if you proceed, then it's going to get tough. There is going to be some difficult conversations. And if you've got that focus and clarity of what good looks like, that's always going to help. So I think that's tip number one. I think tip number two is take the time to build rapport. Mm -hmm. So build those relationships, you know, truly understand each other. And that comes back to that piece around culture, fit. Is this the right deal for all parties? And do that early before you get too far down the line. Yeah. Um, and then really, I suppose the third thing, kind of the end of the conversation we've just been having around, have an integration plan. Just make sure that, you know, before you get to the close of the deal and, and at an early stage, you know what good integration looks like. Brilliant. And, and Jeremy, you've got the hard job of coming last, but do you have anything <laughs> to add? <laughs> well, I, I, probably not to add, no, but I, I would just, I'd, I'd really consider it just to be one, which is, is that alignment? If, if you have a shared view of what you're trying to get out of it and the people are bought into that, then everything else becomes just a, a, a problem to solve or an issue to deal with. You know, th there's nothing that's going to derail it so long as you can both say, as, as my uh, as, as my CEO, Chris, I'll steal one of his, is, you know, we've got 7,000 people. 
if they're pointed in different directions, that's crowd control. But if we can point them in the same direction, we've got an army to go and achieve what we need to do. And, and I think that's it. If we can all point in the right direction, then, then we'll get stuff done. The things are just detailed. That's great. Thank you all for joining me today. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.